Well, good to have you in church today, and uh, we're going to look at the fourth hero that we've been looking at in the scriptures. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through this 6, is basically our fourth hero we're going to look at, and that is Jesus Christ, the most incredible hero of all. In fact, we looked at the first hero was Abel, uh, one of the first sons uh, of the scriptures in the book of Genesis. He is a hero because the offering that he gave to the Lord was, was filled with blood according to the promises of God, that the blood of Jesus washes away our sins. And he gave according to the picture of all salvation. And then we looked at Rahab, who was a woman that was not so honorable in her occupation, but she was a woman that basically believed the message of God. She was receptive to the message of God. She embraced the message of God, and she was obedient to the message of God. And God used this woman who was a Canaanite, and God used her, and she was a vessel chosen of God to be able to make a way for God's people to make it to the promised land by overcoming the obstacle of the city of Jericho. And then last week, Pastor Brad preached about Abraham, the father of the faith of the nation of Israel, who has laid the foundation, providing a genealogy and the provision of Jesus Christ. And now we find the fourth hero this morning is Jesus Christ himself, the greatest hero, the one who is our Redeemer and our Savior. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 6 kind of gives us an outline of the greatness of our Lord. The, the Bible says this, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Boy, I love that scripture. Christ is our hero. He is our redeemer. He is our savior. He is the one that reached down into the miry pit of our sinfulness and he pulled us up by his great love, washed us with his precious blood, caused us to stand on the rock of the assurance of salvation and now we are the children of God only because of what he did for us on the cross of Calvary. If you rejoice in that, give the Lord a hearty praise in his house this morning. Amen. We have a great God. He is our hero. I remember studying about the life of Jim Elliott. Uh, in the jungles of South America, there was a remote, primitive tribe of Indians. They were very barbaric. Uh, they were, they were uh, into cannibalism, and they were rough, and they would kill people who came near their village, and there was no contact with the outside world. And these folks lived a very hard life. In fact, they lived in very difficult times. Many children died before even reaching the age of one years of, of age. Life expectancy uh, at, the, at the greatest length was about 35 years. And if a person reached 40 years of, of age, they were considered to be very old and ancient. 
Uh, life was very hard. They were very barbaric and very, very deadly. In fact, the government would try to reach out to them. And any stranger that would come near their village, uh, they were killed and slaughtered in a very barbaric way. And they were uh, so savage that no one would even think about coming into the territory of their village. And yet a missionary named Jim Elliott... Uh, in a graduate from Wheaton College, and God had spoken to his heart in the mid-1950s, and God spoke to him about reaching out to these very barbaric and dangerous people. This village who had no idea who Jesus Christ was. They had no idea of the message of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. And these people lived in darkness. And, and Jim Elliott, the more he learned about these Aqua Indians down in South America, he became greatly moved about feeling responsible and, and feeling the burden of the Lord to do something to get the gospel to these people uh, who lived in a state of darkness with the gospel of Christ. He had a deep, deep burden to reach them. It was a hard and a dangerous undertaking, yet Jim Elliott knew they needed to hear of their creator, God, and the message of Jesus Christ. He went to Ecuador, and he learned the language of the Aqua Indians the best that he could. He had four other friends that joined with him in this mission to, to, to go into this deep jungle of dangerous people who were very self-contained. And he decided that he would reach in and share with them the message of the gospel. So he basically uh, would fly his plane around this village, and, and he would learn the language, and he would speak through a speaker uh, uh, from this plane, and he would share with them about good news he wanted to share with them near a little uh, river called Palm Beach. And he encouraged them to come by, and, and he shared with them that there was a particular day they would land, and then he wanted to give them gifts, and he wanted to share with them the message about Jesus, that God loved them. And so the very day came that Jim Elliott uh, landed his plane, and the fellas got out, and, and there were three people, two women and a man, that came, and they stood kind of at a distance, very suspicious very uh, leery of the mission of these five missionaries. And it wasn't long before there were arrows thrown from the deepest jungle, and Jim Elliott and his four other friends were slaughtered on this little riverside called Palm Beach, and they died, all of them, trying to get the gospel to these native Indians. And it was so sad. In fact, the primitive people they went in to help had murdered them. And later on, his wife, Elizabeth, they had only been married about a year or so and had a child that was very young. Later on, she was able to connect to a little village girl, and she was able to find an entrance to get into this very city or this little town that had murdered her husband and their four best friends. And she had the, the open door to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many years later, 
Almost all of those people who had killed her husband came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We look back in the Christian uh, uh, history of these great five men, and we realize that they sacrificed their life for the souls of men so they could come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And it was not in vain. It was not in vain. And they are heroes of the church age. And we, we look back at that and we rejoice with the compassion and the heart that they had for the things of the Lord. But in a greater way, Jesus Christ came down to a very dark, barbaric world, a world that was filled with hatred and animosity, in a world that hated anything to do with God or anything spiritual. Jesus Christ penetrated this dark place where Satan had become the prince and the power of the air. He had convinced the minds of men to walk under his drumbeat. They were swayed by uh, his thinking. And Jesus Christ came down to free us from sin and death. He too came down, and by his love and reaching out to us, he was nailed to a cross. How tragic that the creator of the world came down to this dark place, and yet most of mankind, even today, will not even accept his help or even receive his great offer of salvation. But down through the ages, men have been looking for a savior. I'm glad that you're here today and you have embraced Jesus Christ. You have embraced him as not only your creator, but your savior, your redeemer. You've come to the realization that the Holy Spirit has removed your scales of blindness and has given you enough faith to reach out and to trust him. And today you're, you're called a child of God because you have received him as your Lord and savior. Today you're going to heaven. Today you have received a brand new name and glory. You are saved, washed, born again, birthed into the kingdom of God. And we are just a bunch of pilgrims passing through, but we're going to heaven and reign with him forever and ever. Give the Lord a praise in his house today. Beginning way back with Abraham and the birth of the nation of Israel, we've been waiting for the promised son to redeem us from our sins. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Messiah, Christ, was born to a virgin named Mary in a little town near Jerusalem, a little small town called Bethlehem. He was, his birth was prophesied for centuries Thousands of years it was prophesied that one would come who would redeem us from our sins. His coming fulfilled over 300 prophecies when he was born. This little town was foretold, the town that he would be born in, the year in which he would be born, that he would be virgin born, that he would be part of the tribe of Judah. All of these prophecies were fulfilled to an, a minute exactness to give us faith to know that he is who he claims to be. His birth was proclaimed by the angels in heaven. Now, when I was born, there was probably just a message to two or three people in a hallway. By the way, you have a son born. 
But when Jesus Christ was born, the whole sky was filled with the heavenlies, and all of the angels looked down in awe and wonder of the condescension of Jesus Christ, the one who was the supreme one, the creator of all, sitting on the throne of God, left the throne of glory and came down to this dark mud puddle of a world, and he laid aside his throne and his praise and his constant worship to be cursed and to be Yet he knew that the only way that mankind would escape the awful destiny of eternal hell and the flaming fires of the punishment of hell, he knew that he had to give his life's blood so we can be part of the family of God. His birth was proclaimed by the angels. They cried out, fear not, good good will to mankind. You have a redeemer. You have a savior. His name is proclaimed as Emmanuel, meaning God with us. His birth, his perfect sinless life, his message about the kingdom of God, the miracles that he performed in the 33 years that he lived, the awful crucifixion in the death, and yet the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It all proved without a doubt that he was the promised one, he is the promised one, and he is the savior of the world. Jesus is the almighty God. Men might want to put him in a category with other false gods, but I want you to know something. They are false gods, and they're not gods at all. But there's only one true God, and I don't care what the world says or what the world thinks or who I offend with this message. He is the king of glory. He is the only creator. He is God. Give him praise in this house. There is none other. There is none other. He is truly holy God and holy man. John stated that as the purpose in the Gospels in John 20 and 31. John said this, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. In fact, John in chapter 1 addresses the very nature of Jesus. In John 1.1, he is called the Word. In John 1.29, he is called the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In John 1 verse 41, he is called the Messiah, the one who has come to deliver. John 1.49, he is called the Son of God. He is the King of Israel. John 4.42, he is called the Savior of the world. World. In John 20, 28, he is called the Lord, the God. I am, I am the God alone. John establishes that. Amen. Give the Lord a praise. Don't we have a great hero this morning? Ten times Jesus referred to himself in the book of John as I am. And when he would say, I am, the earth would shake because he is the great creator, he is the great God. Let us look in John 1 and see five facts about our incredible hero. Now, I know what you're thinking. My goodness, this man's got five points. I'm a three-point preacher, but I got five points. But I'm going to fool you. My five points are going to come quick, and you're going to probably get out of here earlier than than normal. I know what you're thinking. I'll believe it when I see it. Amen? But as long as we're preaching and teaching about Jesus, we're going to get excited. I mean, pretty soon I'm going to get, I'm so already, I, that was my introduction. I even got into my points and I'm already ready to, to walk the aisle and shout. Amen. Now, I, I, I'm kind of used to uh, 
a Holy Ghost shouting church. So if you get happy about Jesus, uh, you just shame the devil and just shout. Now, some of you have never shouted before. All you got to do is open your mouth and let it out. Just let it out. Just let it out. Say, well, I don't know what's going to come out. It's okay. It's okay. The Lord says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It, it, it doesn't even have to make sense. Just shout. Amen. Amen. Now, here are five reasons why Jesus Christ is the incredible hero. Number one, Jesus existed before the world began. He existed before the world began. You're saying, are you telling me that Jesus Christ is, 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 is not a created being? Absolutely not. Before the world was ever created, before the foundations of this earth was laid, Jesus Christ has always existed. He is the eternal one. I can't wrap my head around that. He is the eternal son of God. He has always existed. There was never a beginning with God. He has always, he's always existed. That's why we have great faith in the eternal, everlasting, eternal God. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, there's not a stronger statement in the Bible than this verse, in the beginning. It means the beginning of time, the beginning of the world, before you and I were ever created, before Adam and Eve were ever created, before creation was ever put in place, before the world in its without form and void was nothing but a, a dark planet without any form of life. The Bible says way before the universe was even created, before all things, he has always been the created God. He has always existed. That'll make you praise him right there. He's the eternal God. There is no beginning with him and there's no end with him. He's never going to die. We have a beginning and we have an end. We are created beings. But God, because of his great love for us, has imparted to us salvation. And not only that, he has given to us, stay with me now, eternal life. You know what that means? In other words, from our point of beginning, the moment we receive Christ as Savior, we're going to pass through the veil of death and we're going to enter into an eternal state and we're going to live with God forever and ever. And we will never die. <laughs> Glory to God. Don't weep at my funeral. Don't waste your time because I'm on the other side shouting and having a hallelujah moment knowing that I will never die again. When, when I die, my soul and spirit leaves this old mud hut and God's going to give me a glorified body and that body is going to be eternal. It's going to be created to live in everlasting state with God. Hallelujah. And so will you. Look to your neighbor and say, we got this. Amen. <laughs> at the beginning of time Jesus Christ was has always been and then Jesus is referred to as the word the word refers to truth revelation and the wisdom of God it refers to the source of truth the person from which truth comes you cannot separate Jesus from truth because he is truth he is the essence of truth he is the source of truth you can't separate truth from Jesus. He is truth. 
The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The sentence says, the Word was God. This is an emphatic statement. John 1.14, God tells us that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Talking about the earthly existence of Jesus 2,000 years ago. He was the direct fulfillment of who God is. Verse 18, John makes the point that although no man has ever seen God, a God who is spirit, we have seen Jesus, thus we see God, incarnate flesh or human form. You know what John said? John said, we have touched God, we have handled him, we saw him, we walked with him, we ate bread with him, we ate fish with him, we saw him perform miracles, we had his blessed hands touch our face. He is a God that has been in physical form, the incarnate Christ, God in flesh. You're saying, what does that mean? That means God himself took a physical body and the blood that was in that physical body was not the blood of corrupt mankind. That's why there had to be a virgin born. Because in the sperm of a man is the blood. And God says, I don't want any kind of violation of this blood. Because this man that's going to come is going to be perfect, spotless, holy. And therefore, the Holy Spirit would overshadow this young virgin woman. And God put his seed in that woman. And the child that was born was a special child. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, his blood was not inherited from the sins of man. But rather, it was a direct intervention of God. And when Jesus died on the cross, it was perfect blood. It was blood that had never been corrupted by sin. It was a holy blood. It was a precious blood. And that blood was a fountain that came up out of the veins of Jesus and washed away the sins of every mankind. And whosoever would come to that fountain of blood, putting their faith in the blood and the work of the cross of Jesus Christ, would experience a cleansing from the top all the way to, to, the, to the bottom of the soles of the feet. And that person would be wrapped in the atoning covering of sin forever by Christ. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. The incarnate Christ. And then number two, the second reason why he is our hero, and that is Jesus declared himself to be the creator of all. He declared himself to be the creator of everything that you see. Evolutionists want to convince you that, oh, there was no God in the beginning. That's the devil's lie. Evolution is nothing but a lie. That is a lie that the world has swallowed. Let me tell you something. Jesus took nothing and he created everything. You say, how can that be? Only God. There are some things you got to have. It takes more faith to believe we came from a monkey than it does to believe that God created man, body, soul, and spirit. Amen? I talked to a man not too long ago at the Christiana Hospital, and we were talking, and I had visited one of his relatives, and I was praying for that person, and he followed me out in the hallway, and he said, well, I'm an atheist. And I went, hey, you know, atheists need to get saved too. So I shared with him, you know, and he just basically let me know. And he says, he says, this thing about God creating people, he says, you know, I believe that there was a great explosion. And from this explosion, 
there was a form of life. And from this form of life, we've all evolved in who we are today. And he strongly believed that. And he says, I don't put my faith in some God. I don't need some God is my crutch. And as he went on and as we talked, I said to him, I said, you know, you got that watch, a beautiful watch on your wrist. I said, wouldn't it be a foolish thing if I said there was an explosion in this building and all of a sudden through this destructive explosion that in this chaos and in this loud boom and the blowing up of everything, it's amazing, all these little intricate wheels and glass and beautiful pieces all came together. And all of a sudden it became synchronized and they started to tell, I got my point across. You look at the human body, body, soul, and spirit. Look how beautiful we're made. Because with every design, there's a designer. My friend, well, a foolish thing is to look and to behold the creation of God, the four seasons of life, to look at how God has put instincts into animals for survival and how God brings life through them and, and to look at human life and how the reproduction system and how we grow as human and think about the, the intricacies of the human body, the eye, the hands, all of the things that have creative powers already instilled to come back and say that this all happened because of an explosion is only a rejection of the truth of who God is. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. This is what John 1.3 says, all things were made by him. If you believe that today, give the Lord a hearty amen. <laughs> all things. All things were, create, were made and created by him. And without him was nothing, anything made that was made. Now, the verb were made means came into being. It's very significant because it literally means it came into being without nothing. The single verse refutes every form of evolution. It's the word from which the creation came. It is God who's the source of all things. You're here today, my friends, because God created you. Before you were born, you were formed in the mind of God. And there was a day that in your mama's tummy, God formed you and crafted you and put a personality in you. And he wired you with spiritual gifts so you could accomplish his purposes on the face of the earth. You have a design and a plan and a purpose. It is God who has created you. Look to your neighbor and say, I'm a creation of God. Can you do that? That's an affirmation. Turn to that person behind you that's losing faith and say, hey, I'm a creation of God. Can you do that? Turn around. Turn around. Tell them. Hebrews 1.10 proclaims Christ as the creator. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. It is God who created the universe. I was watching a... A, a, a science channel the other day, and I was watching it. It was talking about how the universe is all synchronized, how planets all have a purpose, and they're spinning around. And it talked about there are universes among universes. And it talked about the miracle 
of evolution. And I thought to myself, hogwash, that is a lie from the devil. It is God who flung the planets in space. It is God that spun everything according to his purpose and his plan. It is a holy God that has done all things to please him. Colossians 1, 16 and 7 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He holds it all together. Jesus Christ is God, and thus he is our creator. Literally, verse 3 is saying, apart from Jesus Christ, not one thing came into existence, and does it exist today. It is Jesus Christ who holds the power, and he holds the universe together. All things exist by him and for him. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. He is the creator. That's the second reason why he's a hero. Number three, Jesus is the life and the light of men. John 1, 4 says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. He is our hero because he is the source of life. Now this morning you're sitting in church, you have life. You can feel things. You you have a consciousness of things around you. You are alive. You have life. That did not come from some amoeba in a mud puddle. That came by God himself. You have life because of Jesus. You have eternal life because of Jesus. I am alive today because of Jesus. He is the source of life. He breathes life. Mankind is trying to figure out how to come up with life. They're trying to, to, to create bodies and trying to bring bodies to life, but they fail time and time again because they cannot produce life. Only through the breath of God does he give life. Life came from Jesus Christ. Evolution teaches that life came from inert matter and some primal soup where right minerals came together and they say life began, and I say hogwash. Modern scientists tell us that in the future men will figure out how to make life, and with the proper ingredients of this primal soup, they will find the minerals to figure out how to create life. But no matter how hard men try to put their test tubes together and put their scientific figures together, they will never, ever be able to form life because there's only one that has the power to give life to humans and animals and, and, and life to, to, to plants, and that is the eternal God in the heavens. He is our hero because he gives us life. Life. You're alive. You're breathing. You have a soul and a spirit and a physical body that's very much interacting with life because of Jesus. However, God says that life came from the word. Note it says, in him was life. Christ is our creator of spiritual life. There is physical life and there's spiritual life. Nicodemus went to Jesus at night and he said, how is it that I can receive this spiritual life? And Jesus said, you must be born again. He goes, how can I go back into my mother's womb? And that's ridiculous, Jesus. I'm a grown man. I can't fit in my mother's womb. I can't be born from her, from her womb again. That's impossible. Jesus said, oh, no, my friend. That which is of the spirit is the spirit. 
that which is of the flesh is of the flesh. What God was saying that in order to receive spiritual life, there has to be a, a reception of receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And in every man, there's a candle of the Spirit. And when a man receives the Holy Spirit, there is a spiritual life that is quickened in him. And he becomes aware of spiritual understanding and spiritual truths. Everything begins to make sense. And he enters into a personal relationship with God. And there is this infusion of spiritual understanding and a spiritual connection to worship God. And there is something inside of you that no longer cares, cares about the things of this world because you are a person that's been transformed by the Holy Spirit of God and he is preparing you for a better place, a better home. And my friend, you are becoming keenly aware of that great, beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ. It is spiritual life. Number four Jesus is our hero because he overcame the darkness of all sin. When sin came in the Garden of Eden, at one time, man had a vital, lively relationship with Jesus. Jesus walked with man in the garden, and, and God warned man. He said, now, that, that, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't, don't touch it, because the day you eat of it, you're going to die. And then came Satan trying to destroy the works of God. And by the way, he's still trying to destroy the works of God, but thank God for the church of Jesus Christ, which is alive and well and going to march into the kingdom of God. He cannot touch. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Amen. Glory to God. <laughs> oh, praise his name. Satan drug Adam and Eve down into sin. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. The fellowship with God was broken. The candle, that beautiful soul and spirit that was lit, went out. And God knew that man was separated from him. He knew that he was helplessly, hopelessly lost. The only destination for man at that point was an eternal hell with all of the fallen angels and Satan himself. And God looked at us and he loved us. He loved us while we were yet sinners. We were the enemies of God, but he loved us. And he knew, he knew in the foreknowledge of God that there had to be a plan. And there was a holy huddle in heaven and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit got together and they said, we got a plan and we're going to bring mankind back into the kingdom of God. But we're going to go one step a little better. He's not going to only be redeemed from his sins. We're going to bring him into the family of the holy circle of God. There's going to be joint heirs with Jesus. Amen. And that's why Jesus Christ came to, to this world, because he didn't come to set up his kingdom. He came to die because he had to be the supreme sacrifice. That's why he died on the cross. Jesus was never a victim at the cross. That was the very mission of Jesus, that he would shed his life's blood so the blood of Jesus would fall down upon the soul of men, washing him and stripping him of all of his sinfulness and rebellion and making him worthy to stand before God. Jesus came. I'm glad he came. 
Because had Jesus Christ not come 2,000 years ago, we would not be preaching about victory and glory. We would be groping in darkness in our sinfulness. We would be bumping into each other, committing crimes of filth and dirt. We would be dead and on our way to hell. But because of Jesus, he broke through the barriers of sin, and he became the light in the darkness, and light expelled the darkness, kicked the darkness back, and Jesus is the light of the world. He's the the message of salvation for all mankind. John 1, 5 says, And the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. Men have tried to bring true light and bypass Jesus Christ. There's the light of good works. It's not a light at all. There's the light of false religion. There's the light of self-righteousness. There's the light of philosophy. There's the light of science. He tried the light of self-esteem. Men have tried the light of psychology and the light of education, hoping that some way we can illuminate ourselves out of our darkness. But all of these things have failed because there is no light in the works of men. The only light that a man can experience in this life is the light from Jesus Christ. And then number five, Jesus is the only good news in this world. He's the only good news. John 1.12 says, but to all who believed in him. Is that you this morning? But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the authority or the right to become the children of God. No matter how much the world rejects Christ, he remains the Savior. Let all the Madeline Mary O'Hares cuss and swear and rant and kick. Let the ungodly make all their ungodly declaration, it's never going to change the very mission and the power of Christ. Jesus came into the world and died for the sins of the world that he might offer grace to all who believe and accept him. John uh, 1.12 says, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It, God makes it clear that salvation cannot be earned or merited by any man because man is unable to save himself. There is no good news with the message of man, but there is great news that Jesus Christ loved us and gave us life's blood so that we can go to heaven. The good news is, the good news is, you don't have to stay in a state of darkness. You don't have to stay in a state of being confused. You don't have to embrace a life of hopelessness and despair. You can put good faith in Jesus Christ and know that he has the power to be good to his word and do exactly what you need in your life for salvation and the acceptance of God. With one sacrificial act of love and devotion from an old rugged cross, he made it possible for all men to experience forgiveness and the wonderful hope of men of eternity. There are two basic types of people in the world. Those who reject Jesus and refuse to put their faith and trust in him. And number two, there are those who do believe, who have welcomed the good news of the gospel of Christ and has come into the world to save us as sinners, to forgive us of our sins, and to give us eternal life. You know what? Wherever you look, there's good news in Jesus Christ. He has overcome the world. Be a good cheer, he said. Even in the hard times, when you're pressed in and out, when you're troubled, realize that your day of salvation is near. 
Paul says, we're pressed down, we're beat up, the world has kicked us around like an old bucket. He had, the world has condemned us and thrown us in every prison they can find. But while we're in prison, we're rejoicing that soon and very soon, we're going to see the King of King and Lord of Lords, and we're going to be delivered from this body of death, and we're going to be given a brand new life eternally with him in the heavens. God is our salvation. There's good news in the Bible. In fact, in Genesis, Jesus is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet like Moses. In Joshua, he is the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's the rebuilder of the broken walls of human life. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. In Job, he is our ever the ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is the loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. In Lamentation, he is our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in life's fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband, forever married to the back slider. In Joel, he's the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is the mighty to save. In Jonah, he is our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist crying, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he's our savior. In Haggai, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's the Fountain opened up in the house of David for the sin and uncleanness. And Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. And, and Malachi and Matthew, he is the king of the Jews. And Mark, he's the servant. Luke, he's the son of man, feeling what you feel. And John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he's the savior of the world. In Romans, he's the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he's the rock that followed Israel. In 2 Corinthians, he's the triumphant one, giving victory to all. In Galatians, he is your liberty. He sets you free. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is your joy. In Colossians, he's your completeness. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is your hope. In First Timothy, he is your faith. In Second Timothy, he is your stability. In Philemon, he is your benefactor. In Titus, he is your truth. In Hebrews, he is your perfection. In James, Jesus is the power behind your faith. In 1 Peter, he's your example. 2 Peter, he is your purity. In 1 John, he is your life. 2 John, he is your pattern. In 3 John, he is your motivation. In Jude, he is the foundation of your faith. In Revelation, he is your coming king, the king of kings and the Lord of all lords. Give the Lord a hand of praise in this house. He is our hero. He is our hero. All praise and glory to him. There's no way I, I can just touch the scratch the surface of the greatness of God. Let's all stand with heads bowed and eyes are closed.